Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Uncovered podcast. I'm your host Param Kaz. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find absolutely everywhere. We've got lots to talk about today and we'll start off with South Africa versus India. So India did not manage to conquer their final frontier and there's an entire podcast on the history of that and why that might be the case on footmarks so go check that out. But they were able to draw the series 1-1 and absolutely annihilated South Africa at Newlands and they had never won a test match at Newlands before so fifth victory in South Africa and uh, yeah before we even get into you know talking about the cricket stuff Jared there has been a lot of uh, dissent with respect to the surface Sunny G for one has been quite pissed and I remember you and I spoke about uh, surfaces and what they should and shouldn't be and you mentioned how you know surfaces where there's a lot of assist- assistance for seamers they tend to flatten out over the course of a test match and there's a bit uh, of everything for everyone this one did not it was an absolute minefield and the test match lasted a touch under a day and a half so i'm really keen to know what your thoughts are about this I one i mean we don't know if this one would have flattened out because we never got there which mm. is that, that that would be the one caveat you'd have to put sometimes to those uh wickets that certainly have a lot of seam and in this case a combination of seam and ridiculous bounce right um mm. i thought the first session uh I I went and had a look at it. I would have said you should have lost on average five and a half wickets in that first session. So losing ten is quite a jump up on that. Um, mm-hmm. The middle session, uh, India clearly saw that it was a difficult playing surface and attacked a little bit harder than they should have. Lost a few wickets there, but not not a crazy amount, right? Like was it three or four? I think they were down at that point. And then Something and like then that. there was a bit of a weird collapse at the at the start of uh, the third session. So we're talking about the first day, obviously. There's only two days. But um, I think all things considered, most of that can be explained away. Like, you know, sometimes you just have a session where teams get bowled out really, really cheaply um, early on. Hmm. And it was sort of India's lower lower order and, and, you know, middle order that got blown away a little bit. Again, wouldn't be the first thing that South Africa have taken a lot of wickets against in a row. I think the things that you can't look past is that it was con- there was inconsistent bounce and quite often it was high and dangerous. I don't think anyone got massively hurt, but could have. Mm. Um, that for me, that's when you start to go, okay, so it's below, you might say before it was below average, that takes it towards mm. poor. What was getting towards unfit was also the fact that the ball started keeping along the ground. You can't have both. Hmm. Right. Sometimes on in the yeah. first or first session of a test, if you watch a test match, sometimes you'll see the odd ball will shoot low and the odd ball will take off. And what ground, groundsmen have told me is it just takes sometimes it just takes a while for the, the surface to settle itself. You know, it's been under covers for days, hmm. you know, and um, you know, or, or not even just under covers, but you know, it's being prepared for days, suddenly it's just on its own. All right. Um, that wasn't the case here because this was like the third session mm. of the day and the fourth session of the match as well. We saw, um, I think it was Shubman Gil got bowled with one that was quite low. And, and Dean Elgar talked about it at the end of day one as well. Like he, I, Dean Elgar, Vernon Philander, um, Mark Nicholas, I think Sean Pollock. There was a few people who were willing to put the foot in and boot him, which I actually thought was quite funny because all I've been told all week is no one slammed that pitch. And I was like, did you guys not watch any of the chat? Like, like Mark Nicholas was like, this pitch is not good enough almost straight away. Like he was so early on onto that bandwagon and said it right at the close of play. And Dean Elgar said the same thing. You shouldn't have a pitch where you get high bounce and low bounce. I'm not quite sure it was unfit. And we don't get many pitches that are unfit. Um, I think what made it look unfit was probably the those two, um, the the first session and that and the start of the third session. 
I think probably made it look unfit. My guess is it was probably um, a poor pitch, not an unfit pitch for international cricket. Um, having like even if you go back and have a look at some of the the wickets in the first two sessions, I think I think I'm getting my sessions right. I might have even been the ones at the start of the third. There's a couple of times where the batters were thinking that the wicket was really bad, and so they were playing more aggressively. So I think all that all that is fair. But I have found it quite funny that the amount of times I've been told no one was slandering this pitch. I was like, yeah, they were. Like, are you guys not listening? Yeah. Like, like the co- it's very rare for home commentators. Like, mm. you, you know this more than anyone. When Pakistan pitches were dreadful mm. and certainly were, I, I uh-huh. would say, were so flat that they were poor, Rambo said mm. to the commentators, do not mention how flat these pitches are, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen that in other locations as well. I've also seen situations where certain commentators clearly have been told by boards, can you just balance this out? I didn't see a lot of balancing it out. There was, there was, I think there was some good analysis of this player went forward to a ball that he probably should have gone back to. And, you know, and, and there was a few, you know, little things like that and some weaker shots and everything else. There was also in that first session, Elga dragged on, which was a pretty ordinary ball, right? And, and I think it was DeZorzi got caught down the leg side. So again, just a legs ball. Down. Like it wasn't like they were tucking him up or it bounced up at his ribs or anything. Um, so there was yeah. little bits about, about that happening as well. But there's no doubt that it's, at, you know, at best, it's a below average pitch. Um, it's probably veering towards poor. I don't think it ever quite got to unfit. But if we kept seeing that inconsistent, let's say it went into the end of day two or the beginning of day three, and we're st- and we're seeing a day and a half of inconsistent bounce on high and low, that's an unfit pitch for international cricket. So I, I don't think it, I don't know where it goes. And this is why you really shouldn't go on wickets and scores because we've seen pitches where um, was it the was it the England game that was called off where it was like 80 for two or something and i think there was a game at the wacker might have been a second 11 game where teams made runs um but the wicket was clearly unsafe for professional cricketers to be on so you can't just go on those things and i think that you know and that was if you 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 might be able to correct me here but i think that was the pcb's um thing when the icc um fined them for the pitch being really really flat they went back with hawkeye data and said well here we go problem from the uh, ICC was that they should have probably fined all of Pakistan's wickets almost at that point. And they may have gone overboard on the one that wasn't as bad, but it, there should be a science to it. There should be data. You should be also be able to have a look at old Hawkeye data at the, of that wicket um, mm. and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. We know it's a spicy first. Um, I, I think I had it as the spiciest uh, first session wicket in, in test cricket. Huh. So it lived up to that, right? So you, it, that's not to say that you, uh, don't look at that, but you have to say, okay, well, if quite often lots of wickets fall early on here, we have to just chill for a minute and work it out. But throughout the whole thing, but yeah, I, I, I certainly didn't see anyone, certainly no one within the cricket community saying, um, this wicket was fine. So it was funny to hear, you know, Ashwin and Rohit and Sanal Gavaska and almost everyone on, on, on social media. I got emails from fans going, why are you not talking about this? I was like, I read a whole article on this. Like I literally <laughs> did about, me and Shine did about 1500 words on the pitch on the first day. We would have done more, but there was not many other days, Bayram. Yeah, I mean, uh, five days of cricket, right? Three and a half days in the first test, one and a half in the second. So you basically got two results for the price of one. That's what happened over here. They could have, in theory, had a third test and had, had a decider, which Ravi Shastri is really pissed about. He's saying that India should not be going to any tours which only have two test matches. Well, India has that kind of luxury, so I won't be surprised if that happens. And uh, some comments over here are pointing out the same thing. Uh, Lesedi Kotane, forgive me if I butchered your name, says that South Africans over here also slammed it so he doesn't get why people are getting defensive. 
Alexander Cockburn says that uh, Shukri Conrad apologized to Stubbs for making him debut on that pitch. So, <laughs> and, and uh, Pollock was uh, particularly, in particular, really, really heated, as was Mark Nicholas. And uh, it's interesting. You mentioned how Rohit made a claim, right? It was, it was a funny claim. Because he was like, I'm fine. I like these challenges. I'm all for these pitches. Just don't make a ruckus about it when you come to India. So, yeah, good luck, England. I mean, what I would say about this is this, is that, funnily enough, India was almost the right team to be there. Because what he was saying, I would say that the two teams who have most obviously tampered with their wickets over the last five years have been India and South Africa. So, you know, and and also South Africa, India could actually laugh at them a little bit here. The the same way that Australia did when they stole a match in India and go, we might not have beaten you. You guys just gave us a test by by making such a weird wicket here. Um, But, you know, we know that Faf Duplessis went to the groundsman, I don't know, whenever it was, six or seven years ago and said, we think our batters are not more skilled than everyone else, but we think they're tougher than everyone else. We're willing to take more hits on the body, give us wickets, we will get more hits on the body, and we will outlast some of these lineups. That's open tampering of pitches, right? It's exactly what Rohit Sharma yeah. did. The only thing is, you could argue that it's less safe. And it's funny, South Africa, I, I, they got away with systematically, right? Systematically tampering with the ball without any negative connotations onto them, Right? Australia completely balls up tampering with the ball. Proof that they don't even know what they're doing. It's how badly that they actually did it. Um, and then and then everyone's like, oh, they're the bad ones. And then India tampering with the pitch, or not tampering, with, but rigging the pitches, I should say, over the last whatever it was. Doctoring. Doctoring, yeah. There's the word. That you're uh, over what? Yeah. The last four or five years. Well, wait a minute. Hmm. South Africa were doing it for longer than that and in a more dangerous way. Hmm. So I, I, sometimes I do think that's the bigger one, right? It, if, if Australia, England, or India do something good or something bad, that's all we ever talk about. And South Africa yeah. just get away with doing anything they want all the time. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, so I, I find that side of it quite interesting. But there is a, there is a safety element to this, right? Like, if Vera yeah. Kohli gets his hand broken um, on a wicket where he's gone forward to a ball and it, on the first day and it's exploded and broken his hand and he's out for a year... Like, if I'm the BCCI, I'm, I'm saying to Cricket South Africa, we're not coming back, right? And why Why would they? And, and I don't think that'd be the only team, you know, that would feel that way. The others might not be able to do it financially or wh- whatever else. But I certainly think that from that point of view, um, it's. I think it's an interesting uh, um, a way to look at it going ahead. But, you know, there's lots of teams that do things with their wickets. In this case, what happened was they wanted to produce a slightly more sporting wicket. Right, hmm. and and Cape Town is not normally a, a very low average wicket for South Africa. They tried to make it a little bit more sporting, and the conditions just got away from the curator. And when you try and doctor the wicket, as you said before, that's actually usually when things go wrong, because you are trying to hmm. make that wicket slightly less natural than usual. And we're not talking about, hmm. well, I mean, sometimes it can be shaving grass, but you know, it can be not watering enough, and then suddenly the cracks open at twice the rate you're expecting, right? Or you know, you. You try and make it so that there's a little bit of extra bounce, which is fine. But unfortunately, that the surface just um, gets uh, volatile, and so you get extra bounce and you get less bounce at the same time. All all these yeah. things do happen, but you know, uh, Cape Town and and Cricket South Africa have to own up to that and say they made a mistake. And hopefully, I, I think hopefully the ICC will do it properly this time and not just be like there was this many wickets in this amount of days, so it must be a bad pitch <laughs> because that's what people on Twitter do and that's what people in YouTube comments do. Yeah. That's fine for fans. This is a professional sport. We have to do these things properly. Mm-hmm. We have to have a look at the inconsistent bounce. Hawkeye will have that data. They could hire Crickviz in to have a look at that for them as well. Um, this is, it should be an easy thing to do. 
I mean, just considering the fact that India were 153 for four in their first innings yeah. and then they lost six wickets for zero runs, that's something very unnatural. For an Indian batting card to have seven ducks is something very unnatural, right? So, yeah, I mean, you definitely have a point over there. And I, I guess Rohit will be happy because he's now the, only the second Indian captain ever to draw a test series in South Africa after MS mm. Dhoni. So, there's that. Let's talk about the game, though, okay? First innings, South Africa, a bold out for 55. India have pretty much won it. In the first session, if you think about yeah. it, right? And Mohammad Siraj turns up six for you. Mentioned how he hasn't really lived up to his potential in Test cricket thus far. He answered, and it's funny how whenever Siraj is having a day, teams fail to get to like sixty odd, and it's becoming a bit of a thing now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he really is a spree wicket taker, I suppose. Um, mm. uh, so, so yeah, I, I think with that in mind. We were, you know, I, I compared him to Stuart Broad, which I think is probably the most apt one of, you know, once he gets going. I, I think bowlers like him, their their best balls are kind of unplayable. And I think once, and, and I think the issue with someone like Siraj is, and, and him and Broad are quite interesting because both of them are late developers, right? You know, Broad was yeah. a batter and Siraj was a tennis ball guy, right? Tape ball cricket and all that sort of stuff. So in some ways, they got to international cricket because of their gifts and then have to hmm. learn it. And it means that it is not as honed as perhaps Jimmy Anderson might be or perhaps, you know, Vernon Philander might be or those sorts of guys. But their basic skills, you know, if you look at Siraj, the amount of deviation he gets off a surface at that pace with that accuracy, it's kind of unplayable at the best. And, you know, we've now seen it, what, four times in limited overs uh, cricket, once in test match cricket, where he kind of closes in innings, right? Like, he, you know, it really is that brutal. And that's kind of what Stuart Broad did for a career, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, these are really promising signs for India because Mohammad Shami is on the wrong side of 30 now and they need a successor mm. to him. Siraj somewhat fits the bill. And I mean, there's lots to love about him, especially the element that you discussed, how he's a he was a tape ball cricketer, much like Harris Rauf. Maybe that is a more comparable sort of trajectory. Well, uh, Shami and Rauf both were yeah. tape ball specialists. Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a few tape ball specialists, haven't we? Mm. You know, I mean, was a Macram, you could argue, was one. And there's... Dhoni. Yeah, there's quite a few in, in Sri Lanka as well, haven't there been? Um, mm. So I, I think that's part of it. But I do think that it, it, mm. in this particular case, I think it's the combination of, I think Harris Ralph can bowl a really good ball, but I don't know if his stock ball mm. is unplayable, mm. right? Whereas I think yeah. if if their actions are right and their, their wrists are correct, M, uh, I almost said Emma Stoney then, I don't know what I was going to say. Mohamed Siraj and Stuart Broad <laughs> are kind of unplayable. Right, and and I, and I think that's a one slight different from Harris Ralph. Where uh, you know where he's yeah. probably more like the more traditional tennis ball, uh, tape ball bowlers that we see. They sort of come through, and they you know occasionally they make the ball do magical things. Um, and, and but they don't really have they almost don't have a stock ball, right? Whereas Siraj isn't mm. like that. He's a, l a lot more like someone who has a stock ball. Um, but yeah, just uh, you know when they take wickets, they just seem to come in a flurry, right, and completely destroy people. Absolutely, it was uh, well he. Uh... What's the word over here? Starts with a P, and I've completely forgotten it. Pulverized. He pulverized. I wonder you were going there. I was right? like, "What the hell is he talking? About? Does he mean pedophile?" <laughs> no, 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 no. Jeffrey Epstein over here. But uh, not a I single cricketer on the Jeffrey Epstein logs. We're going to be pretty excited by that as a sport, right, everyone? Hundred percent. 
And uh, I don't know if you caught that post-match interview of Siraj when he was receiving his award for Player of the Match, but he basically said in Hindi that uh, Jaspreet Bumrah gives him a lot of insight when he looks at the wicket and shares that experience with him and that assists him yeah. a lot. Bumrah did not take credit for it. He started off that way, but then he revised his words and said that we as a team uh, give him some uh, insight and intel and based on experience and stuff like that. Bumrah himself got a six pair in the second innings. He made his debut in South Africa and rolled them over back then as well. It's been some careers since. Sure, he's been plagued with injuries and maybe he won't get to 200 test wickets, unfortunately. But you've got to say... Uh, Sure, I, I I think everyone agrees that he's probably India's best pacer in history across mm. formats. But in contemporary cricket, I would say Bumrah is the best all-format pacer, isn't he? Yeah, who's... Rabada is the other one, is he? Pat Cummins, not that great in limited overs. Yeah. So, probably be Rabada. I think Pat Cummins is pretty good in ODI cricket, isn't he? It's more T20 where he probably falls down. Mm. Um, yeah. And Stark... Yeah, yeah, I, I would say it's uh, it's, it's Boomer or Rabada. It's probably Rabada only because Rabada plays more, even though I think Boomer probably is better in white ball cricket, certainly. Red ball cricket, maybe they're a little bit more even, but Rabada, as you said, he has the wickets because he hasn't been injured as much. Um, uh, you know, so, so you can go there. But yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, look, he's a... He's a ridiculous, he's a cheat code bowler, really. It was funny, in, mm -hmm. in the first innings, yeah. people were like, oh, look, he's not in form, he hasn't taken any wickets. And I was like, well, A, they were falling so quickly at the other end. Sometimes that's just what happens. And B, they couldn't get anywhere near his balls to get an edge on them, right? Like, you know, there, there is an element of that that sometimes we forget a little bit. I, I think a fully fit Boomerah hmm. is probably the closest thing we would see to Ghana or McGrath, um, you know, of genuinely, I'm not sure what you do against the, you know, I, I know he's a very different bowler than both of those guys and they're very different from each other as well. But those are the guys who dominated both forms of cricket. You know, Ghana did it from first change. Um, no one could hit them. They had, they had genuine physical skills of, uh, yeah. you know, the way they move the ball around, the way they hit the seam, the accuracy, height and Ghana's case also the pace uh, which Boomer does have mm. and all those sorts of things but they're also very obviously very very clever bowlers and very, you know and and, yeah. and had the other skills um that they needed as well and you know uh though that that for me would be the list of the greatest all format bowlers we've ever had um and I don't see any reason why Boomer isn't already there the only thing holding him back mm. is how, how many wickets does he have in test cricket do you know off the top of your head is that 130 yeah. odd 130 odd, not more right. So for his era, I mean, that's still not, probably not that many less than Ghana, right? But, mm. um, but, but for his, it's an average of 21. So no, there's that. exactly, and that, that's what I mean. It's it's yeah. the average for me, but also the fact that it works across different uh, formats in, in that kind of way. And you know, um, I think I'm just having a look now. So Ghana got 259 in an era when, mm. and also in a bowling attack where it wasn't particularly easy to get a lot of wickets in. Um, yeah, you know, obviously we all know about McGrath and everything else, but those those are the guys who we saw we have seen dominate, and Stain's probably there and thereabouts with those uh, with those three guys as well. Um, what, what about Waz? Does he make the cut? So his test bowling average is a, isn't it a little bit lower? Like it's not. I mean, for a le because he's a left arm bowler, he probably makes it right in, in, in into that in that list as well. Um, but I'm just having a look now, so. Oh, no. I mean, he's only averaged 24 in test cricket and 23 in ODIs. So, Ghana was 21 and 19. So, what about uh, Ambrose? Ambrose was quite low, wasn't Yeah, I don't know about Ambrose in... 
ODI. So it's that it's the combination across both. I think Ambrose is. Hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ambrose was my favorite. Yeah, so even Ambrose and ODI goes up to twenty four. It's that. It's oh. it's the hovering around twenty in both formats. Hmm. Which just let me check and make sure that McGrath is. Um, Probably. That, I mean, even if he isn't, we've all whoever's seen Glenn McGrath play would definitely have. Yeah, so he's twenty two. Um, uh, you know, and then in, in, you know, so it's that, that's that kind of that magical mark, right. Of if you can average really, you know, closer to 20 than 25 in both or all three formats of the game, um, or even two, you know, you will get there. So Stain is 23, 26, um, but, but mm -hmm. 18 in T20 internationals. So, okay. you know, it, th these, we're talking about really rare air with with Boomerang. um and i i think you know there's there was that whole thing that you know he only wanted to play for mumbai which i think we now know is not true but he's got to the age yeah. of 30 his odi average is i think oh, i'm just looking it up now 23 and a half so a little bit a little bit higher than what um uh, some of the others although his economy is probably even better than garner and, and mcgraw when you factor mm -hmm. in the era that he bowls um and his bowling average in t20 internationals is under 20 right so just mm -hmm. that you know that's the that's where he is on those sorts of all format sort of uh, legends over a long period of time. But mm -hmm. he's thirty and he hasn't played that much cricket, right? That we 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 can't yeah. we can't skip that. Um, and it's it's a real shame. But part yeah. of it is uh, that his action probably isn't as repeatable um, mm -hmm. as some of the other fast bowlers we've seen before. Which is that's fair. It's a part. The action is part of the reason we're talking about him. Yeah, I mean, he's unorthodox and there is a lot of strain, I believe, on his back uh, with that action. I might Dude, be wrong, but I'm no specialist. There's, there's a, there's, looking at his action, there should be stress everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, in the comments section, we've got a few shouts over here. Lesedi Kotane says, Bumrah Cummins and KG for him. Sean Pollock and Anrik Nokia are suggestions by Otto. Alexander Cockburn says Shane Bond and Josh Hazelwood. So interesting um, shouts. Yeah, but they're just, if you look at their overall numbers, you're talking, a, there's a, a, a fair way off there. Shane Bond, I think, if he was ever fully fit and played all the time, um, is certainly mm. someone that I think could have been, you know, at that kind of a level, but probably, you uh -huh. know, just didn't quite get there um, altogether. But look, you know, we talk, that what, what I'm talking about is that there really haven't been many bowlers like this in the history of the game. It's it's not something that you see a lot. And you, you look at someone like Josh Hazelwood, who's a fantastic bowler, but probably still averages mid-20s. You, you talked about Wasim Akram, right? Yeah. We both think mm. that Wasim Akram is absolutely incredible. But when it comes down to it, he's probably not quite on that level again. Um, and it does it does show you just how hard it is to be there. Um, and and boomer has got everything going for him. And I, I, I find it I find it funny when sort of <laughs> there always seems to be a bit of a clamor for, uh, you know, maybe he's not quite as good as we thought he used to be. Um, and then you see him bowl again. Oh, I think he's better post-energy. I don't know what rehab he went through, but that's the rehab every fast bowler. At least all Pakistan fast bowlers need to go. Okay, I just put it, I, they, they, I did miss two on my list, which was Donald and Hadley. Though the other two I should have had mm. up there as well. And, you know, Malcolm Marshall and Murali are not too far away. But you know, having that kind of a record uh, and taking over let's say he gets to 400 international wickets, right? Um, you know, so in Ghana's case, you're talking 405 international wickets at an average of 20.20. Uh, it's just like, it, it sounds like um, I've been playing Don Bradman 17 with my kids, which I have absolutely <laughs> cannot work out bowling in that game at all. I've gone back to cricket 19.
You need to go to Quick Cricket 24 because I'm quite enjoying I'm going to get Cricket 24 um, on the PlayStation because I'm on this I'm on the Switch at the moment and I'm just not sure I'm enjoying it as much on the Switch and it feels a little bit glitchy so I'm going to go across to Cricket 24. It is. It is. I've played I've played Cricket 24 on Switch and it's not fun. Cricket 24 on the PS is extremely smooth but I will say I made the mistake of switching from hardest to hard because this is therapy for me and I'm smashing sixes all over the park, but I wish I had played at hardest. So, so what do we got? Um, we got Cricket 19 and then Cricket 24. Is there anything in the middle? Cricket 22. Cricket 22. So I get, Which is a downgraded version of 24. It's not as good. Yeah, I mean, 24 is just, they fixed a lot of bugs okay. and these games by Big Ant Studios are really buggy. Anyway, we're digressing. <laughs> Uh, still have one more talking point from South Africa versus India. And how could we not talk about Aiden Markram? You were mentioning Hawkeye data, Briar. And Crickviz basically, uh, you know, tweeted that ever since we have Hawkeye data available, Aiden Markram's stun in the second innings for South Africa was the hardest ever 100 scored in Test cricket for that period. And I mean, it makes sense. It was an absolute minefield. He started hitting really, really belligerently. And I mean, when he is attacking the ball... It's really aesthetically pleasing. Even Virat Kohli is a fan. People were digging up his tweet from the past, right? And I mean, against the run of play, when the second highest score in that batting card was 12 by Dean Elgar, that was a really, really special knock by Mark. Yeah, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Um, I, I think when we talk about the hardest innings from a Crickvist point of view, I think we do have to remember that what we are saying there is that it is the hardest from the expected average point of view. You know, I don't know how it can, you know, compares to um, uh, Kusal Pereira or Ben Stokes's innings or, you know, those sort. And also there's an element of Markham kind of feeling like they're out of the game so he can swing with a little bit of freedom. But the ability to stay in, and I think it, I think it does show what I am, it's probably, I'm hoping it shows what I've been saying about Markham for a long time, which is his very base core game is on a different level. It's just that sometimes he misses the second gear and the third gear and the fourth gear you know, and, and, you know, get stuck in sixth gear and first gear and he just has trouble. And, and on a surface like that, all he really needed to do was block the balls he wasn't going to be able to hit for four and six and try and hit everything else for four and six. And he did that brilliantly. And, and it suits the way he plays. If he can get into that kind of mindset and, you know, uh, kind of that Andrew Simons late career mindset, Right, where you're just like, well, I don't need to worry about all this other. I don't need to worry about flicking the ball um, on the leg side for one because I can block this one and I'll hit the next one mm. for four. Um, and I think that he just his head looks stiller when he's in that kind of position. Uh, it, look, he's a, it was a fantastic innings. I don't know where it goes. I've never, I've never tried to mark the the greatest innings of all time. Mm. I know someone did a book on it, and Mark Butcher, I think his his innings against Australia came out. First, second, or third. It was really, really high up. Mm. And like... What about Kusal Pereira? Yeah, so, so this is before the Pereira-Stokes' mm. innings. Um, but I remember yeah. when that book came out, and obviously know Butch quite well, and he's like, like he, he, he jokes around with that because he doesn't believe that was the third best innings ever played, mm. which I think shows you... And I, I think what the person at the other end was trying to do, and I, I forget the guy um, who wrote that book, but what he was trying to do is he was saying he was looking at the best bowlers. You know, if you who made a hundred in a difficult circumstance against the best bowlers, so Mark Butcher had to chase down whatever it was, three hundred, um, and against Warner McGrath, but it was a dead rubber, and we all know mm. that there is, you know, that element to it. It's really, really tough to work out exactly mm. where an innings like that goes, and we have seen on low scoring pitches before. Taylor Linders come in and make seventy or eighty, mm. right? Because the 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 energy is sort of fizzled a little bit out of the the game, and I don't think that takes away from the technical aspects of, of it. Mm. 
And so the Crickfizz thing stands up. But whether that means it suddenly jumps a bunch of the other greatest innings we've ever seen in cricket, mm. I think you have to question that a little bit more. What for me, and I said this during the World Cup as well with Aiden Markham, I just hope that we this is Aiden Markham now, right? I just mm. hope that this is three or four years of Aiden Markram. Um, and because of that, you know, uh, we, we finally get to see him the way he should be because he's fucking unreal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean... Here's to hoping that he has come of age. It seems like he's come of age and he has definitely shouldered that responsibility in a test team which now does not, uh, you know, uh, boast a lot of experience in the batting department. And I think, I mean, it was a fantastic knock. Other few good knocks in this test were, of course, Kohli didn't get a 50, but that 46 was really, really good, important runs. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, short but sweet. Definitely enjoyed that test match. And uh, yeah, one final thing I want to just say to everyone who's watching. Uh, before, when we were talking about Bumrah, one thing that really sets him apart, uh, at least with respect to Garner and, and McGrath, is that he is an absolute gentleman. This guy is just the lo most lovable fast bowler out there. He doesn't have any of that uh, bravado of like uh, a menacing sort of fast bowler. He stays quiet. He does his business. Brilliant to watch. Anyway, Nishad Ja, you have some questions on Babar Azam. So stay tuned because after this break, Jared and I will be talking about Australia versus Pakistan and Babur is a talking point. So you're watching Uncovered with the both of us. Stay tuned after the sad. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Welcome back to the Uncovered podcast. You're with Behram and Jared and Australia. Whitewashed Pakistan 3-0 in the Test Series down under. It's the sixth consecutive whitewash that Pakistan has su have suffered in Australia, uh, starting from 99 and going on to, well, 2023. And that's 17 consecutive uh, losses in Test cricket in Australia. So, well, not a lot or anything pretty much to write home about from that point of view. But when you look at Pakistan in the series, no one had any expectations. Everyone thought they'd get absolutely steamrolled. And, you know, we were talking about how 20 wickets is always a challenge for Pakistan, particularly in Australia. They've only done it eight times. One of those times was in this series and the bowling did its part. You know, I think they did their job pretty well. It was the fielding and batting that led Pakistan down. And I think they dropped like 10 catches across three games. Abdullah Shafiq dropped three sitters in Melbourne. And in this game... Saima Yub, who was making his debut, and I have no idea why he was fielding in the slips, because that's a position you need to graduate to. At least that's what I've seen in cricket. Uh, he dropped David Warner, absolute dolly. Then also dropped Mitch Marsh on eight in the second innings. He went on to score 56. And yeah, Shan Masood dropped another catch. But Would he, you know, have, it's, it's, would he uh, have played much cricket in Australia? Shan Masood? No, no. Um, who was the guy you said was in the slips? Saima Yub. 
Not at all. So I don't think he's played any cricket in Australia. So fielding slips in Australia is very, very different than fielding slips in other places. Mm. And the reason being is you have a lot longer time between the edge and the ball mm. getting to you because you're further back. And what can sometimes uh -huh. happen in Australia as well is if the bat blade isn't straight, you get this massive top spin and the ball goes up and then dips. Um, and just because it's a longer distance, it's a bit more brutal. So it's a very different kind of slips fielding as well. So if you're not a great slips fielder and you're thrown into Australia and you don't know what to do, it, it, I've noticed that in England. It's so rare in England for me to get any time. I'm so close when I'm fielding at slip. The ball's just coming to me and I'm just reacting to it. Whereas I always had trouble in Australia with the ones that loop up and had that top spin on them or just took so too long to get to me because I would overthink it rather than just being, if it was a quick edge, I would just react to it and go that way. Um, and also it's kind of slightly more an athletic art in Australia because you, outside of first slip, of course, but second and third slip, you actually need to cover some ground because the, the way the ball comes off the bat and everything else. Um, so yeah. It's interesting though, Pakistan did well at second and third slip. It's first, first slip, slip where they dropped all of those what? catches. And it's like one of those things that will haunt them like Sydney 2010, yeah. right? Because that's a test match that everyone remembers because of Kamran Akhwal. <laughs> this is a tour which, sure, there were batting failures, failures as well and we'll talk about them. But when your fielding lets you down, it just kills the body language. Yeah. And first slip in Australia is the one where you are the furthest back. So for on, an, on, 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 that, on, on that side of the, it can uh, be a problem. Look, if we're sitting here complaining that their batting didn't quite go up to the level that we wanted and that their fielding was quite poor, I still think we're in a better position than you or I thought was going to happen. I think we both mm. thought this was going to be slaughtering, right? And it was going to be one of those yeah. tours where it was absolutely pointless even watching. That wasn't the case. In uh, 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 Who was it? Pakistan. India was in the other game. Um, Pakistan were in the matches, right? They had chances. Mm. They, you know, yeah. they, they put pressure back onto Australia and everything else. Um, so they were certainly, you know, there were certainly times where they were there. Neither of us thought that coming in. So it's not great to look at the positives but it would be unfair to say that there are no positives from what we saw yeah i mean the positives are very very promising and we'll get to that as well and i mean i think we've definitely made the conclusion that you would have fielded better at first slip than simon abdullah because you have more experience in australia uh, let's talk about the batting failures because of course you mentioned how pakistan were in the games the second and third test there mm. were plenty of times where they were actually ahead of the game and there was a very good chance that pakistan would go and win those test matches but they failed and sure the fielding let them down but the batting failures really cannot go unnoticed abdullah shafiq and saud shakid these are two batting talents in pakistan that they expect will you know occupy test spots for years to come abdullah has had a fantastic start and he was going well in the series as well before those dropped catches then bagged a pair in Sydney and ended up with 110 runs in six innings at 18.33. Yep. South, on the other hand, who was breaking records left, right and centre in Test cricket prior in Asia, when he got to his first assignment in Senna, 92 runs in six innings at 15.33. Then you address the elephant in the room, Barbar Azam. 126 runs in six innings at 21. And Barbar is someone who across three tours in Australia has averaged 25. There was a conversation that he might be the next big thing in Test cricket. Of course, ODI cricket and elsewhere, he's he's done really, really well. But Test cricket was still a bit of a question mark, particularly Test matches in Senna. He only has 150-odd tests over there. And uh, as far as legacies go, he's pretty much wasted a golden year over here. And runs in Australia really would have helped establish that stature, which I think Barbara has really missed out on. Yeah, I, I think as things go, he this is a really, really disappointing period it's it, i think it's quite interesting him and manas have both pulled back a little bit 
you know, both of them started very poorly. I know Bubba was a lot longer and played a lot more. Well, they both started fairly yeah. poorly. You know, Manus was back out of the side and then they came in and they both sort of come, they both sort of find form at the beginning of that wobble ball era. And obviously there is something about the way that they play where they naturally handle that delivery better than perhaps other people do. Um, and since then, people have bowled better to him or, or smarter to him. And, you know, it, look, we know the class of him. We, you know, I think he gets a bad rap sometimes because of all the Baba versus Virat fans out there, right? And and you and I have talked about the Baba fans before, and they only just stopped abusing both of us on Twitter for that chat, right? I got, I nearly got cancelled after the, that podcast. Yeah, I tried to cancel you; it didn't work. <laughs> but um, I th actually, I think I hired you after that podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, so but 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 the point being that there was a lot built into that, and in truth. We haven't probably seen Barbara's um at the level we need to see him at consistently mm -hmm. in his career so far. And I don't think that means that he's a dud or a busted flush or, you know, or overrated or any of those sorts of things. But did he is he thirty or thirty one? He's twenty nine turning 30 mm. and even in this series if you look at those knocks he was playing very 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 fluently aesthetic pleasure is still a part of his mm. game he looks like a million bucks out there but he hasn't been able to convert that's 11 innings in test cricket now without a 50 and when it's a player of Barber's stature at least what you expect of him that seems unacceptable plus Jared there's been an issue with the in-swinger he's gotten out to that in-swinger a fair few times now yeah I, I'm less worried about like 11 innings where he doesn't make a 50 or something. It's not ideal, obviously. Mm. Um, but we saw him do a similar thing in ODI cricket not that long ago as well. You know, um, mm. I'm more interested in the fact that last year he played five tests and he averaged 22, right? Um, and, you know, we've seen again there, you know, this year where he's not quite at that level. These should be peak years, right? Mm -hmm. this, th that's why I was asking you about his age. Because this is, I thought, I thought he was 30 I, um, last time I... Uh, look, so I was obviously slightly off there. But these are the years... No, we're both 94 kids. I'm Feb and I think he's October. Oh, okay. And, you know, you look mm. like you're in much better form at the moment. But <laughs> you have a look this last year. He's That's a peak World Cup year, right? For an mm. ODI cricketer. Uh, yep. And he averages 46 in the whole year with a strike rate of 84, right? Yep. It's not bad, but the year before he averaged 84 with a strike rate of 90. Uh, the year before that, mm -hmm. I, only, I think he only played a few games, but had an average of 67 with a strike rate of 108. Um, and in 2019, mm -hmm. averaged 60 with a, a strike rate of 92. That's what we expect to see from him at this age, right? We expect yep. him to rack up. He's like his golden yeah, years. Like, uh, you know, me, you, as you know, me and Cheyenne are doing this uh, thing on, on the greatest test batters at the moment. And you see a lot of players that you go, oh, he didn't actually start all that good, right? But Bob yeah. Simpson is a really, really interesting one, just because it's in the top of my head at the moment because we've been looking him up. Bob Simpson doesn't make a test 100 in his first 29 tests, right? His oh. 30th test, he makes 300. So, you know, he made up, made up for it a little bit there. Um, and the next 20 tests he plays, I think he averages 57, right? So he averages 36 oh. for the first 29 and 57 for the next 20. He then retires at 31, right? Or 30, I can't remember. Really young. Yeah, Meg Lanning young, oh. right? And ah. uh, and so he retires really, really early. And because of that, um, he probably missed out on two or three peak years when he was clearly huh. still at the top of his game. And that's when you cash in, right? All the hard yep. stuff. Barber's already been through the hard stuff. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much of it is just technical, how much of it is just form. But mm. I think you're right. Even in the World Cup at times, I thought he looked 
fluent-ish. Maybe not quite his full fluent, but fluent-ish. He doesn't mm-hmm. look like someone who's like in a world of hurt when it comes to form. But he also doesn't look like he did two or three years ago. Yeah, and uh, I mean, here's to hoping he turns it around because Pakistan without peak Babar Azam is a different unit altogether. And I mean, he still has time. If he's 29 right now, given how late Asian cricketers tend to, or especially batters tend to play cricket, he's probably got another nine years in him. I'd even go another on Another 15 say. years. So let's see if he can... Another 15 if he's Misbah, right? So uh, that that one will definitely... I mean, the jury's still out on Babar the test batter. And uh, yeah, the, the project that you and Shayan are uh, working on, you know, Inzi... Muhammad Yusuf, Javed Niyada, Yunus Khan, even Saeed Anwar, all of these guys have better cases as, you know, some of Pakistan's most elite test batters. So, so, so Javed Dad, I think his last four years, he averages mid-30s. I think, I'm just remembering mm. off the top of my head, because he banked so many peak years before then. I think he was averaging 57 coming into those last four years. You, well, what, what you don't want to be in a situation of, for Baba, some of this we're talking about legacy, right? But we're also talking about the mm. team needing their star batter yeah. to, to, to play. So it kind of works on both. On both, But you know there's going to be a dip at one stage, right? And, mm. and chances are he's not going to have a Eunice or a Misbah-like career, right? Because very few people ever do that. And also, he started a little bit earlier, and it's harder for you know players um, who you know who come in at a reasonable age to be able to play on. The, the, the grind of the circuit mm. eventually gets to you. You don't want to be in a situation where he's already in- inconsistent and then he hits that, let's say, 35, 36 period um, and you're going to have a natural regression um, at that point. That's, yeah. that's an issue. And also, where is he going to regress the most? It's going to be in the bits that he's already hmm. weak against, right? So I do think there's yeah. there's some question marks there over where he ends up because we know what level of talent he is, but uh, you know he's not fulfilling that at the moment. Not at all. And uh, lucky for him, he's got time to rectify that. And this is going to be a very crucial period for Babar Azam, the batter. He's not captain anymore, so he mm-hmm. can focus on his batting. And uh, Nishant Jha said that he's another Umar Akmal in the making. So get, get the fuck out of here. That, that, that's not true. <laughs> Don't, I, <laughs> I'm not offended, I'm not sh- but I'm... <laughs> that's a hell of a comp. I mean, they're yeah, both mammals. That is one. I, they're both cousins. <laughs> anyway, another big shining light for Pakistan on this tour of Australia. Perhaps the brightest shining light. They've really unearthed a diamond and champion cricketer in Amir Jamal. I don't know how much of you, how much of him you've seen, but he's the sort of bowler who hits the deck hard. He's fairly pacey. We always heard that he could bat a bit, but he showed us for the first time in this series that, yeah, that's true. 33 in the Melbourne Test, very crucial runs. 82 in this one, hung around, big 10th wicket partnership with Mir Hamza. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you the list of records that he's made. So in terms of uh, players which have scored 140 plus runs and have taken 18 wickets in a test series, it's just Imran Khan and Amir Jamal. And only Imran Khan and Amir Jamal are the two Pakistan cricketers who've taken a six-fer in a test and also scored 80 plus runs in an inning. So that is elite company. And not only was he Pakistan's highest wicket taker, he was also their third highest scorer which goes on to show you how bad a series Pakistan had with the bat, but also how much utility Amir Jamal can provide. Comes across as a warrior, doesn't take anything for granted. He was a PR dream for the Channel 7 team, mm. right? Interviews on interviews on interviews. So just wanted to know, what, what's your impression of him? Look, I think he's a, a talented player. I don't think over a long period of time, I'm convinced his batting will hold up. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little bit of um, uh, Lord Shadul about his batting I know it's a different <laughs> style but like I just think consistently as teams start to work you out um you know Carlos Brathwaite when he I think he made runs in Australia when he was uh quite young mm-hmm. as well 
and over a while teams kind of work out where to bowl to you in test cricket if you're a threat. Um, the bowling's interesting. What, what what pace would you say his like top end is? High or top end? Uh, definitely 145, yeah. but he was consistently bowling high 130s. Yeah. So, which was the fastest for anyone in this Pakistan seam <laughs> attack, which will come as a surprise to me. Um, did, did I say this on, I think I might have said this on the WhatsApp group to you. It is incredible that a, a, a society so obsessed with pace bowling produces so many medium fast bowlers um, <laughs> uh, and medium bowlers, really. Like, like it's incredible. Like, remember that whole thing years ago about India doesn't produce fast bowlers because no one eats mm. meat. And in Pakistan, they eat meat. Yep. Like, well, did you stop eating meat? Like, wh what the fuck happened? <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I think... Um, I think he's an interesting cricketer. He's probably a handy number eight, I suppose, is where I think his batting mm. is going to level out, which is fine. You've got to, you know, yeah. let, let's take that as a win. Um, bowling, I, you know, if you could get wickets in, on Australian surfaces without being express or um, being super tall or, you know, having one of, you know, or being super accurate or whatever it may be, I think that probably is a good sign everywhere else. I saw, I can't remember who it was, one of the Australian journalists said that the Austra he thought the Australian batters were a little bit under par all the way through. Mm. If it was Turney or Bredig um, had written that piece. Um, so perhaps there was an element too that the Australian batters didn't punish the way that they might have in the past. Mm -hmm. But he looks like a player, right? Like, do you remember when, um, oh God, I've got his name and I just used him on um, Cricket 19. Um, Describe him. Ashraf. Oh yeah, Fahim yeah. Ashraf. So he, he he's definitely a, an upgrade on him with the ball. So when he came through, I remember Usman and George Jobel were like going nuts, and I was like, "But what's his main skill in Test cricket? Like he's not going to bat in the top seven, right? And if he does, mm -hmm. he's going to be a pretty ordinary number seven, and he's never going to be in your best four bowlers, right? Like and and you know you look at um, Jamal and you think to yourself, well, okay, he probably isn't going to bat top seven, but he probably could be mm -hmm. your fourth best bowler and maybe better than that Murray might be your third best bowler on occasions and you know might have a, like a yeah. Tim Bresnan like I, I'm talking about mm -hmm. Tim Bresnan before his arm um his arm injury kind of ruined his career but you know if he's a Tim Bresnan level cricketer you take that in a heartbeat right yeah I mean Tim Bresnan had this record for England where he whenever he played England yep. won so here's to hoping that in the future Ahmed Jamal can do something similar look I see him as a mainstay in the test team because Pakistan have had a dearth of test match bowling uh, or test bowlers and he is the sort of guy who I can see do well on flat surfaces as well. Now, you pair him up with Naseem and Shaheen in mm. home games and pair them up with a fourth bowler, maybe Mir Hamza or Khurram Shahzad, all of them. Pakistan's bowling attack had their moments in yeah. the series, right? And you, and you have Salman Ali Aga as your lone spinner in South African conditions where Pakistan play next year. And, and Salman too, I think he overachieved. Next year or this year? Corner a couple of what times. year are we in? Next. 20... Oh yeah, this year. This I was going to say, I thought it was this yeah. year, but I could be wrong. <laughs> But look, Salman Ali Aga, I thought he was the sort of cricketer who would only work in Asia. He scored 250s in Australia, was Pakistan's fourth highest scorer, got some handy wickets, won it twice and was ripping it in Sydney. Uh, cleaned up Manas with a beauty. So I think Pakistan's test attack can shape up really well here on. So that's pretty much the biggest positive. Uh, Last positive. No, yeah. I was just going to say, Shaheen, you were... I mean, Shaheen, uh, we'll have to see if he gets his pace back for starters. He does have the skill yeah. for sure. I really want to see Peak Shaheen again and I'm worried because Pakistan don't handle their fast bowlers well and the rehab part is probably even worse than the workload management. So that is a can of worms that we probably, if we open that, we'll need a podcast. Sorry, you were going to do a last positive and I came with a semi-negative. Yeah. 
my last positive <laughs> yeah sure but my last positive is something that shouldn't even be a talking point because we all know the quality of mohammad rizwan he did not play the first test match and ended ended as pakistan's highest run scorer in the series 193 runs in four innings at 48.25 this is a guy who in 30 test matches which if you compare pakistan's uh, test playing game time to other nations it's it's lesser so 30 tests is a fair bit of sample size in terms of yeah. years right now he's averaged north of 40 and in senna 10 of those test matches have come in senna he's averaged 43 odd two uh, 200s and 950s overall seven of those 50s have come in senna he's a crisis batter and he's done it again even in the scg test he scored 88 why is it a talking point that rizwan should or should not be in the team it should be a no brainer i mean it, let's say that in morning for his keeping doesn't he just come in as a batter really why would you not want him for his keeper? Uh, i'm not I'm, but i'm just saying even if that was the case and they said that safras hmm. is a better keeper which fine okay hmm. it doesn't make any sense look i think yeah oh, i i loved um uh, safras as well i thought he was a really really interesting cricketer and you know almost a throwback to 90s wicketkeepers in a way um mm -hmm. the way that he went about it and i think both of them have been vilified by fan bases and media and former players Hmm. When there's, it's not that there's no issues there. There's always issues with players, but I I find it weird that hmm. sometimes players seem to be front and center of the, uh, you know, um, Asad Shafiq seemed to have the cruisiest career of anyone I've ever seen, and these other guys seem to be under pressure all the time. Look, Rizwan yeah. is uh, an above average player at probably every level of cricket that he would play in. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't yep. know if he's a great at any level. Um, mm -hmm. But it, you know, but he's above average at everything he does. And when you consider that he has two skills, um, you know, in in wicket keeping and batting, uh, wh where would his average be? I'm trying to think. Has he has he kept in every game that he has played? Um, yes. I so would he's got sixteen hundred so. runs. So if we quickly looked up uh, wicket keepers with sixteen hundred runs, right? He would have to have one of the highest averages of all time, wouldn't he? Like, am I am I missing something I mean, here? Um, any anyone with anyone over about an average of thirty four is usually an elite mm. uh, player when it comes to uh, wiki keepers. And so, what did you mm -hmm. say his average was? Forty point four, I think, in Test cricket. Forty point four. Okay, so I'm looking up sixteen hundred runs because that's what he's got. Um, mm. uh, and uh, the highest averages. Okay, so De Villiers. Um, average 57, Flower 53, Gilchrist 47, Rishabh Pant is 43, Les Ames 43, Lytton Das, uh, Sankakara, Pride, De Kock. Oh, okay, maybe he hasn't quite got 1600. I don't quite see him on this list, hmm. so he might just he might just be under that um, uh, when it comes to wicket keeping. But you said it was 40 point. His average, what was it? Four, forty point four. But also, you didn't mention any Pakistani keepers in that list, no. right? Well, forty point four. So he's, he's the best name. I can tell you where forty point four lands if you want. It lands between <laughs> Kumar Sangakkara and Matt Pryor, right? That's that good is enough. above Quinton de Kock, Chandamal, B.J. Watling, Dhoni, Bairstow, and obviously um, uh, Safraz. Who, as I said, I'm a big fan of Safraz as well. This isn't an Same. an anti Safraz thing. I thought he was dropped at a time. Uh, that was a little bit silly, but in the in the history of yeah. the game, that um, we've got one, two, three, four, nine. So if we look at fifteen hundred runs, I think Rizwan will be the tenth wicketkeeper ever to score over fifteen hundred runs as a wicketkeeper. Oh. Let's say that's how many he has, an average of better than forty. Right? Like, yeah. what are we talking about here? I just, I, I 
I just don't understand what it is. And I think that the, I, I know I understand about the politics and the agendas and all this sort of stuff, mm. but that's a no brainer. Like you just write him in as the first name and then you work out the team around him. That's what you'd think, but uh, the toxicity within Pakistan's media spectrum is quite rampant. So they've what they've done is they've projected hate towards Sarfaraz because when they run these campaigns, everyone starts hating on Sarfaraz, and he doesn't deserve That's hate. That's what I mean. He won Pakistan an ICC title. He, you know, so, uh, he, you know, a fantastic cricketer in his own right. And and look, we can keep it can be weird. We've had these sorts of situations before, and the whole Butler Besto thing is a really fascinating uh, one as well. But it would be hard to look at Rizwan's record so far, and especially because. We know enough about him uh, to know that it goes across, right? That, uh, you know, this isn't a guy who's just made some runs in test cricket. We know that he has a solid first-class record. We know he has a solid ODI record and a solid T20 record. I think, I've got it in front of me, actually, he averages 40 in every single format of mm. cricket that he plays, international and domestic. There you go. Right? Like, <laughs> this isn't a guy who's just <laughs> lucked into some runs. This is a, a consistent scorer. Right, you don't get yeah. you don't, you don't get many of those, and and he also he can bat at six. He gives them flexibility. Yeah, he, can, he can counter attack. He's a busy cricketer. He's got his zones. People always label him as a leg side only cricketer. Sure, that's his predominant side, but he can still play on the offside. I've seen him play the ball through the covers and cutting it on plenty. Of, of, if he averages forty, anyway. I don't care if he hits everything to find leg. If we're being honest, yeah, that's what I do in cricket twenty four. But uh, anyway. Uh, Sean, the captain, was also decent in patches, but I want to talk a bit about Australia before we move on. We spoke about Pat Cummins at length in the previous Uncovered. If you guys want to know what our analysis is on where he stands uh, in the Lily and McGrath you know, conversation, we've done that in the previous one. As uh, have we done, we've also done Mitch Marsh. We've talked about him extensively. Both of these guys were Australia's stars in this series. Uh, Cummins took 19 wickets at 12 apiece. Mitch Marsh scored 344 runs at 86. And, well, he would have scored a lot less had Pakistan hung on to the chances. But Manas is the one I want to talk, mm. to about, uh, talk to you about today. He is someone who had a prolific run in Test cricket. Then he dropped off, you know, and, and dropped off by quite a fair bit such that he hasn't had any prominent scores in, in quite a while. And he's played a lot of Test cricket in this period as well. He scored twin 50s in this Test match and he's gone to like really attritional sort of uh, an approach. Mm. He digs it out. He's he's a grinder, uh, somewhat of a grinder now. And he's finally come amongst the runs. Now, Australia will lose David Warner after the series. And uh, Manus at three would be a very key position. How crucial is it for him to maintain that form? Uh, yeah, I think I think in Manus's case that uh, he probably had, almost like someone like Mike Hussey, had a sort of a ridiculous record in a small period of time. Mm. Because... I think what was it in fifteen innings or something? He ha he had something like seven or fifteen. Was it twelve hundreds, eleven hundreds, whatever it was? Something it, like it, that. Yeah. He also did not have an average in ODI cricket for the longest time because he just didn't exactly. get out. Exactly. And so, and I think there was a lot of talk about you know him uh, making a lot of runs at home, which was true, and getting dropped a lot, which was true. Although generally, if you make a lot of runs, you get dropped a lot. So you kind of do have to factor mm. those two things there. Um, the more that you're out there making runs, uh, the more that you're getting dropped. But um, I think there's just been a bit of a regression for him to probably back mm. to the level of player he is. I don't think he's a um, 57 mm. or 60 average player. Like he's limited mm. in some ways, um, but I think he's very smart. He works really hard. Um, and... I think he genuinely is quite good at working his way through problems. So mm. uh, a little bit like Mike Hussey. So Mike Hussey had a, uh, people never talk about this. Mike Hussey had two years in Tesco where he averaged mid thirties. Um, mm. 
and the reason that Mike Hussey came back out of that is because Mike Hussey actually really loves cricket, right? Mm -hmm. And he's called Mr. Cricket for a reason. And so he worked and worked to try and work out what he was doing wrong and, you know, tweak his game a little bit and get back to the top. And I think that Manus is a, very, a different sort of person, but, you know, similar sort of professional. He's clearly an above average international talent. There'll be some regression yeah. to his batting, right? And, and he will go through some leaner patches, but he's probably going to be batting for Australia for the next part of four to six years. And so, as you said, you know, making those couple of scores, um, I think he'd made, I'm just, he made a 50 at the, uh, where was I? Old Trafford, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I think oh, so. I thought there's a couple of times. Yeah, I think it was the 50 at Old Trafford, the one that I'm thinking of. Um, where I watched him and I was like, oh, he's, they've worked him out and he's now taken a step mm. forward. And I think that's what we, we had seen over the last, I don't know, year and a half of Manus is, and, and this goes back to what we're talking about with Bubba as well. Those guys sort of came out of the box ready to take on the wobble ball and then bowlers eventually just stopped bowling them the wobble ball over and over again then. Okay, so we're going to mm. try something different and we're going to, you know, you know, play with your mind a little bit more and, you know, try different lines and lengths than, than we are bowling to everyone else. And those guys then have got to work it out. And I thought that at times in the ash, towards the end of that ashes, it looked like to me that he was working that out. So I'm not overly surprised that, you know, uh, he's made some runs against Pakistan as well. But you're right. I mean, Usman might retire. Um, you know, who knows how long um, Smith is going to play on for as well. You know, there's some older guys there. And so Manus is incredibly important going ahead. Yeah. And also, you know, his approach is similar to Khwaja's and Smith's. And that's a perfect foil to guys like Mitch Marsh and Travis Head, which makes Australia a really well-rounded mm. team. Also, Muki over here has uh, basically uh, mentioned how Abdullah Shafiq got out fishing a couple of times. Yes, he did. He got a few beauties as well, but that's that's absolutely correct, as did South Shakin. But anyway, that's enough for this segment. We'll be taking a short break and we have some retirements to discuss after. So stay tuned to the Uncovered Podcast with Behram and Jared. We'll be back shortly. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro Chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast with Behram and Jared and a fair few retirements in cricket over the week or two. Let's start with David Warner. We always knew that he wants to quit Test cricket and he got to leave it on his own terms. Fairy tale ending, 57 in his last innings. But we'll get to all of that in the Footmarks podcast. So guys, this week's Footmarks will be on David Warner. One thing that I just want to talk to you about, Jared, is that he retired from ODI cricket, basically saying that if he's fit and firing come 2025, he's going to play the Champions Trophy. Taking the Ben Stokes route now is Davey Warner. Yeah, I'd be surprised if that happens. I think... Hmm. When, when he first started retiring, I, I, I never got a chance to really talk to him privately, but I was at the press conference where he kind of announced the, the whole plan and everything. And I got the feeling that he was a little bit over it. And since then, he's won a World Cup, right? And um, maybe won a World Test Championship final. I think that was before the World Test Championship final yep. when I chatted to him. Um, and so I do think that there is an element then of, 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 of that coming through, right? Of He was maybe a little bit exhausted and now he's had a little bit of a second win but I would be surprised if the Australians are like, because they're not going to think that the Champions Trophy is a big enough deal to bring Warner mm -hmm. back for. If it was a World Cup in two years' time, yeah, 
then I'd be thinking about it. But I, I'd be surprised if he comes back for that. But but it, I thought it was interesting um, that he said it. Yeah, I mean, it's the only IC trophy that David Warner hasn't won. So maybe he wants to play it. But if he did, he should have stuck around. And Kushal Shah says, is it fair to assume David Warner will play the next T20 World Cup? Of course. Of course it's fair. I mean, that's happening. Right. I, I would. Uh, I would. Least, I, I was so. always um, of the assumption that he was going. That was would be his mm. last time playing for Australia. Yeah. So let's see how that unfolds and whether or not he'll uh, feature in that Champions Trophy. Uh, Dean Elgar is another one, uh, a throwback cricketer. You know, Craig Brathwaite, Dimut Karunaratnik, Dean Elgar. These were those blend of Test match openers that are really, really rare that you come across these days. Uh, fantastic career. Not quite an elite batter. Fantastic record versus India, though. And someone who's really done the hard yards over the years. Captain South Africa decently well. And, you know, is leaving them at a time where things don't look too rosy. So, uh, yeah, what do you have to say about that? He probably had a couple more years left to give. Um, mm-hmm. The political side of, uh, you know, South African cricket gets to most guys, I think, eventually. No, yeah. and, and I want to point this out. No matter your race as well because it doesn't matter which side of the coin you're on it's you're either being used as a pawn or you're being used as the problem um or you're having to deal with interference from people who don't understand cricket all those sorts of things Mm -hmm. they just wear down on you in a way that you know um i remember talking to someone about ab de villiers and i said i said i was a bit surprised that he left when he did because i thought he Hmm. could have played another four or five years the way he was batting at the end yeah and they easily even even Andrew Strauss, I believe, could have carried on for a bit. Yeah, longer. and 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 AB de Villiers, uh, when I talked to this person about, they just said he's just tired. It just broke him, right? The, the constant running around and being an England captain for Strauss and Cook. There's two guys that probably left a little mm. bit earlier as well. So there you go. Yeah. I, I think you know in some of those jobs you do see that Elgar's wild. Do you know what his away average is in Test cricket? Twenties, yeah. just. And it wasn't really to this week I started, or last week, whenever it was, that I really worked that out. Like I, I had, you know, Mahela and Warner are two, and Michael Clark I think is another, where it's just, it, uh, I always knew about it. This one I didn't even realise. And, you know, so we've all seen Dean Elgar bat in South Africa. Almost none of us have ever seen him bat outside of South Africa because he's barely made a run. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when South Africa toured Pakistan uh, a few years back and Elgar was uh, not even a story. He didn't feature in any of those innings. And yeah, I think a uh, middling player, but one of those guys who will go out with a lot of respect, mm. as we saw. Another South African retiree, a surprise one at that. He's only 32 years of age. And uh, recently, Shukri Conrad mentioned that he was part of uh, South Africa's test plans and they are not considering uh, Kyle Verena. But now Verena's back and uh, Klaassen, who really wanted to play test cricket. One of those few players who really, you know, uh, where are you going? He's gone. Oh, there's a Klaassen jersey. <laughs> there you have it, Seattle Orcas. So yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting story because someone in the comments mentioned that slightly unsurprisingly, Klaassen retired from Test 2. That's more to do with the political landscape of the team right now because he feels like, you know, there's no point in competing for a spot where he can cash in on limited overs cricket, right? Yes. I, I think that one's probably less to do with the overall politics of, of South African cricket, right? Yeah. Um, I think that one is probably more to do with the fact that the guy who he's fighting with is 26 and is clearly really good. Mm. Right, I know that. Yeah. I know that we ha- we haven't seen the most, the best of him at Test cricket at the moment um, uh, from uh, Verena, but uh, he averages forty nine in first class cricket. He's going to average wow. thirty five to forty in Test cricket uh, if he can, you know, work it out and 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 develop and do all those things that he should be able to do. 
I was surprised when he was originally dropped for class and I remember having a chat with Big Vern and I was like what do you make of this decision by Shukri Conrad and he was like yeah well everything is in flux yeah. right now let's see how it goes So you know <laughs> and then you know also the thing with Heinrich Klassen is that he was a bit of a late developer you know he wasn't getting huge contracts when he was 22 23 24 right like it's taken him a little bit longer to break through and now he's got mm. let's say he's got 3 years of maximum earning potential left uh, and then mm-hmm. another three years of cashing in on being Heinrich class. And after that, if he keeps mm-hmm. trying for first class cricket and test cricket and not playing in leagues and everything, that's going to affect that. Right. And, you know, yeah. man's got to, ca- man's got to make his Seattle Orcus money somehow. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, so I, I think from that perspective, it probably makes, it probably makes sense. And we will see players now that will kind of weigh that up. Right. Of this, like, mm-hmm. you know, how old, did you say he was? He's 32? Am I remembering that? Yeah, he's 32. Yeah. And he has an average of 13 in four tests, I believe. So he's competing with a guy that you mentioned is uh, crazy in domestic cricket. I, I actually like Kyle Verena. Um, and then also, he, is the, he has the sort of skill set that he would really succeed in those franchise leagues. So why not? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, 32. So we're both right there. First class average of 46. So I don't think it was a case of he was going to average 13 forever. Right, but he hadn't been successful in the first couple of games. Um, perhaps the only thing that might have kept him around is that, right? That you know, hmm. and we, you know, the 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 thing of not actually, um, not ever being his best in Test cricket. So you know, top score of thirty five, right? But yeah. he's also got a top score of one hundred and seventy four in um, ODI cricket, and you know, might be the most one you know one of the most powerful players in the world in T Twenty cricket at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. your more your mortgage is more important than your legacy at a certain point, and I'm sure he would love to make a test hundred for South Africa. But does he want to wait two or three years and do himself out of 40 percent of his earnings to do that? Probably not. I I think uh, Neil Manthorpe wrote a really good column this week. If you don't follow him on Substack, it's it's worth, it, especially if you like South African cricket. Um, and, and Manners was talking about um, how much the players are paid, and you know all, all these different issues. And there's a comment underneath from this guy who said, "Well, if you compare it to the average person, um, you know they're all basically millionaires compared to to the average person." But when yeah. we talk about that, you've got to remember that that only um, that is only earning for 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they, we know what happens to former athletes and everything else. So I'm sure there'll be the so, the same old boring things of, oh, they don't put their country. I, I saw someone that recently say, oh, the Australian cricketers put their country first. And, and, and I can't remember which of other cricketers he was talking about don't. And I was like, well, Cricket Australia paid the Australian players to put their country first. Mm-hmm. They actually gave them yep. extra money to not go to the IPL, right? And Mitchell Stark got the best of both worlds. He got that extra money. He has 300 plus test wickets and he's bagged the, uh, you know, most lucrative IPL contract. of his Exactly. Life. And that's not the case for everyone, right? And so I understand why 32-year-old who has now pl- who's represented his country, his dream when he grew up was not to mm-hmm. play for the Seattle Walkers, as good as this shirt is, yeah. right? It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> his dream when he grew up. But he's played for his country in all three formats and he's done incredible things for his country in at least two of those formats already. Now... He's a shoe-in in those two uh, lineups, by the way, T20 and ODS. Exactly. And he's got, as I said, mm. three years of maximum earning and hopefully three more years of cashing in. Maybe at the end of that, he gets yeah. himself into a position where he's a coach or a whatever. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, there's another retiree who you just brought up earlier in the podcast. I don't even think you know, but Asad Shafiq is uh, not a cricketer really? anymore. He's done. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asad Shafiq hung up his boots and he's now a consultant selector. He's the butt replacement. <laughs> he's the new butt. He's the new butt. The safe butt, <laughs> if you will. Um, yeah. The clean butt. <laughs> what a remarkable career he had. Of I don't think anyone's ever had a better armchair ride in cricket than just be, we're going to put you behind, you know, two incredible, old, clever um, middle order players and you're just going to sit there forever um, until one of them retires and then they're not going to retire and you're going to end up with a fairly good batting average for someone who really made no impact on so many games. I think I was at his best innings. I think it was the one in the Gabba in the day-night um, match when he almost stole. There was an innings uh, at the Gabba. There was a match winning. Well, well, Yuna scored 200 in that oval game, but Asad also got 100. Yeah, I think I, he was, I'm not giving uh, him that one. Six. Yunus, Yunus yeah. rode that one. I think he was great at number six. He, I think he leveled Sober's hundreds record at number six or might have even okay. lost him. But when he got that promotion, he just couldn't live up to There's, the village. You, so th- he is, and I might, I might write a note down so I remember this, but he is the reason right, why we can't really take runs at number six all that seriously. Because number six is a position that should be for young players or older players on their way out or players with a second skill, right? Hmm. He was a specialist batter at number six. Right, Sobers, if Sobers couldn't bowl, would have batted at first drop or second drop, right? Mm-hmm. So the only reason yeah. Sobers has that record is because of where he batted in the batting order. And so Asad Shafiq, and, and let's be honest, this guy could bat. No, I, I think he, the the real thing was how much time was invested into him, considering he just didn't develop to the level that he should have developed to, right? But you know, I've probably I've probably said this on podcasts like a hundred times, but you know. Um, Mark Butcher, you ask him about the time he batted at number six, and he was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. This is the easiest batting <laughs> position ever. Um, you know, you would do it ab- absolutely every single day if, if you could. And look at, um, I'll go through some of the, num- the, some of the names here of some of the other players at number six. You've got you know, Ben Stokes, so another, uh, an all-rounder. Steve Waugh, mm. another all-rounder. Then you've got Hashan Tillakaratni. I don't know if he did any wicket-keeping there, um, but he, he mm. may not be. Laxman is another guy who went there. The only reason Laxman batted at number six, though, is because they had so many middle-order players. They just stuffed him in there, right? Yeah. And you then have um, Sobers and Tony Gregg, right? Both of them. Uh, Alan Border mm-hmm. ends up batting there at the back half of his career just because, you know, he was old. Uh, Sh- Sh- Alan Border has an eight for versus the Western yeah. now. Shiv started at <laughs> eight for seven for. Uh, seven for? I know he took seven. like eleven wickets in a match, didn't he? Um, not yeah. quite Noran. Shiv Noran Chandrapal started at number six and ended at number six, if I remember correctly. Mm. De Villiers went to number six when he was keeping. Angelo Matthews started as a bowler. Clive Lloyd again, another guy who batted at number six when he was quite old. Right? Mm-hmm. Who's the weird name there? Maybe. Tilakaratne is the only other player on that list where you would say um, is you know is uh, not fitting the 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 type that I just said right, and I can't remember how often Tilakaratne actually kept. So it's possible um, uh, that he let's have a look. He kept in eleven matches, right? And mm-hmm. let's I'm, I'm I'm going deep now, and he batted at six and seven for quite a few of those games um, as well. Uh, but you see my point. There just aren't many players like that. Yeah. But a fantastically pretty batter to watch, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know what this new obsession with middling players becoming selectors and, and on... Do you know what I mean? Like Wahab, him, Hafiz. <laughs> I, I actually like those three players, but there's a part of me that's mm-hmm. like, what, that's... None of those guys... Like, none of those guys is a transformative player. None of those guys was a great... Yeah. And I would say that outside of Hafiz... 
and late career Hafiz only, none of those mm. guys got the most out of themselves. So they are weird people yeah. to think of as the guys who are going to make the decisions on the next uh, generation of Pakistani talent. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I think Asad Shafiq should have averaged close to 45, yet he's languishing under 40. So that's on yeah. him. Couldn't make the you most of that You can't average under when... 40 if you're a specialist batter and you bat at number six. It's a fucking embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he probably makes the most sense as a selector consultant because he actually played domestic cricket recently. Mm. Whereas Wahab has been playing leagues, Hafiz has been all over the park. That's a guy who's at least seen what's out there. So maybe he's the better of the three. Um, some other uh, shouts over here are KL Rahul and Rishabh Pant, uh, both great at six. So yeah, sure. There's also a, a comment that says, do you think Bancroft has the potential to be Warner's replacement? So Warner wants uh, Marcus Harris. Marnus wants Steve Smith's. Apparently, Steve Smith yeah. wants Steve Smith opening. I don't know what's going to happen. Bancroft has some baggage. And uh, I don't know how that works. I'm not sure Bancroft's quite good enough. Um, if we're being honest, mm. I don't care about his baggage. Um, I'm not quite mm. sure he's of that level. Um, Harris isn't of that level. <laughs> so mm. maybe Steve Smith is the best option. Uh, there's, there's also, they've got a bunch of these Aaron Hardy, Cameron Green type players out there. Someone mentioned Aaron Hardy up there and they were like, uh, hello guys, what are your thoughts on Aaron Hardy? I didn't say it out loud because Aaron Hardy and Benny Howell are two <laughs> names that you don't take in front of Jack. <laughs> then it's a separate podcast. It is, it is a good point. It's about but, them. I mean, Cameron Green is the one I was kind of thinking of is is that, is, is it mm. worth asking him if he would be interested in that? In, in Because he's not going to get back into the side straight away, is he? Um, hmm. You know, he's 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 back outside... Um, you know, the, the the main part of the team just at the moment. And so I just wondered if that was a, if it, what's the best way of putting it? But if that's a, a conversation that is worth having with him and just saying, you know, do you want, would you be interested in this? In, in the way that they did to, to um, Shane Watson and Justin Lang, well, Justin Lang was thrown in on tour, but, you know, in, in a similar way of, of that. Um, and, and he might say, look, it's not for me or, I'll try it, but is it okay if I don't get judged on it? Or and all the, I think all those things are absolutely fine. Um, but I, I would be thinking that Steve Smith, I, I've heard that he wants to do it. Um, it's now public knowledge that he wants to do it. Um, and generally, what happens in Australian cricket is if he asks for it, it happens. Um, so you know they they don't have another Steve Smith if he wants to go to the top. He's not batting in the middle order as well as he used to, right? So you can understand yeah. why he'd be thinking about it from this point of view. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a drop-off, but I think Smith's still got at least a couple of years in him and maybe we'll see him as opener. Other names that people have mentioned have been Matt Renshaw, Will Pukowski. I think Will Pukowski's not playing cricket right now. He's had like 20 concussions. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, he was my pick I, as well. I, I really wanted to I kind of want to see uh, Renshaw uh, back because I, I just think that he kind of did everything right. And I think he was picked way too mm. early in his career. And Pakistan didn't know where to bowl to him on that first tour. I thought he handled Ashwin really well in India. And um, that first time for someone who was like, you know, a kid who actually mm. crapped himself on the field um, or mm. virtually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there was any leakage on the field, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I really like Renshaw. I like that he went off and worked on his game as a limited overs player and, and everything else. So there's a lot to like from him. Uh, Pukowski would be automatic, but it's just, it's just mm. about the, the mental stuff. Um, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I mean, mental and, uh, in his case, the mental health issues and the uh, physical health issues occasionally with the concussions. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just it's just that double, double problem. Talent-wise, could open test cricket for Australia tomorrow. Yeah. Double whammy on the brain, yeah. actually. That's, that's uh, something that you don't get too frequently. I like the Cam Green option. It's really left field. I hadn't thought about it. He's open in the IPL. 
and you know uh, like virender sehwag had a conversation with warner all these years all those years ago maybe someone could have that conversation with cam green anyway moving forward final topic we always try to finish this early yet we're staring at another hour and a half it's it's we're going to split this podcast will, it's going to be like current affairs and it's going to be just cricket talk but anyway india versus australia women's series last time i spoke to you about phoebe litchfield jared I I mentioned how she got 78 and 63 in the first two ODIs and I asked Had you whether that, or not she is the Yeah, I asked you whether or not she is the real deal and if she could replace Meglanning. I think I've got my answer. Next ODI she gets 119 Australia whitewash the series. Then 49 in the first T20 Australia don't win that one. But in the second T20 she's unbeaten at 18 and Australia do win that one leveling the series. On top of which she's taken some absolute stunners mm. in the field as well. She's done really, really well. Now she might just be the most uh, uh, prodigious batting talent going around in women's cricket. That's the conclusion that I've come. Yeah, to. I, I mean, I mean, she. I, I, as I said, I think I said this last week. I think she's just a, a level above kind of everyone else we've seen. And if she can, continues to develop the way that she has, uh, one thing I would say is we 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 haven't factored this in enough because we haven't, as a community, watched enough women's cricket. Remember that women develop a lot earlier. In in terms of age than men do, and mm-hmm. so yeah. Also in terms of uh, mentality. Well, I think I mean it's probably a physical <laughs> thing, and that includes the brain as well, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, I I think from that from that point of view, I think sometimes we see uh, I've forgotten her name. Um, the opener from South Africa, um, uh, Wolfart, right? So I think mm. we, like we saw her come through at a very young age, and everyone was like, "What's she going to be like in a few years?" and I'm not saying she's not better than she used to be, but she's not like hmm. what you would ex- if you saw her. And this is weird talking to a Pakistani because you're the worst person to talk to for something like this. But if you see an 18 or 19 year old in cricket and they're quite <laughs> good, you're like, God, what are they going to be like at 25 and 26? That's not the case hmm. in women's cricket. So I think we have to factor that in with, with with Phoebe's development as well. But having said that, she's just turned 20. If she was playing for any other team in the world, she would already be. Um, she would have already played like 50 games, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. that this team was so strong that they didn't need to rush her in. Um, uh, but there is a reason why Meg Lanning retires at 31, um, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of it is to do with uh, the fact that she was what a, a senior squad member at 16. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a very different curve that women have than uh, men have. Um, so that would be my only caveat with with uh, with uh, Phoebe. But I. Think that she could go on to be, yeah, the best player of her era. Certainly, the best player over the next five or six years. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she dominates all three formats. Yeah, I mean, she definitely looks a class apart. And I'm jumping on the Phoebe bandwagon for multiple reasons. Phoebe was my favorite Friends character as well, and my doggo's name is Phoebe. So there's so many reasons for me to to, to love Phoebe Litchfield. Did you say and doggo? Is definitely Litchfield. Yeah, I did say doggo. Okay. You're a doggo person. Do, do people not use that term? In, no, uh, dog. Sorry, or wherever no, you people, are. People use that term when there's something wrong with them, and they've got a weird relationship with their dog. <laughs> I think that's a universe. Like, it's like when people talk about, you know, their pussy cat, like it's one of their children. Mm. Like people only really say doggo if they actually think of uh, of a dog as a as as something that above what a dog is, which is an animal that licks its own ass. Well, now you now you know which category I fall in. Eighty-seven in the comments says Pukovsky actually played all shield messages here, so so maybe he's in for all shield matches. Hopefully, I thought he was I, out. I don't know. I thought he was out for a while, wasn't he? That's what I thought as well. 
and uh, then Hypercost, as always, gives us a great stat that Litchfield is the second youngest Australian woman after landing, of course, to score two ODI hundreds. Her 260 runs were the most for Oz women in a three-match ODI series and the most scored in or against India. So, yeah, wow is the only thing I can say over there. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to see what's brewing over there. Um, where Phoebe was having a world-class series, mm-hmm. an Indian player, the captain, Harman Preet Kaur, uh, lost form drastically in all of the outings that she's had in both ODI and Test Series. Oh, sorry, ODI and T20 Series. She hasn't crossed nine. No double-digit scores for Harman Preet. Is this a cause for concern? Um, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw her bat. And... Uh, I know. I feel like all I do on this podcast is ask you the age of people, um, <laughs> but I'm going to look up her age because. Uh, I mean, the heart monster would be 30 by now. I would assume. So she's 34. Oh well. Right. That's quite. Mm. I remember she came through the amateur era a little bit more, so it's it's not quite the same as what it can be for some of the other more professional women. Although she's been very professional mm. now for you know best part of 10 years. Um, my concern would be whether we are just seeing her just, you know, this, this is not the end, but the end of her being the harm monster, right? And um, and just becoming mm. a normal player from here on in. She's had a fantastic career. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, yeah. uh, uh, what, what she did, what she did for cricket is far more important than the, than the, the overall impact of whatever it is, um, you know, average of 36 and strike rate of 72 and, um, you know, averaging 27, 28 in T20 cricket, because, She's the one that really changed the sport in India, um, mm. and you know, and the way the way that it is going to be looked at forever. You know, she played such a big part um, in, in changing all that sort of stuff. So, I, I look, I, I I need to do. I'm just trying to grab her record here. So last year, she played five ODIs and she averaged 17. Um, the year before, she averaged 58. Right, so. Mm-hmm. It's it's rare that someone drops off, and this that's ODIs. I'll look at T20s as well. But it's weird that someone would drop off that much just from age in, in yeah. a year. But we have seen it, right? Like it's not it's not impossible. Um, and she averaged thirty three in T20 cricket last year. Um, so um, it's something to watch because of her age, but not be, mm. you know. But that's that's the only reason. Other otherwise, it could just be a normal mm. blip. I mean, she's definitely had a lot of impact on uh, women's cricket, and I mean. I see over here, Kushal Shah has mentioned that she apparently threw Shriyanka under the bus in the press conference and that's not a good look. Well, what she did in the Bangladesh series was also not a good look. So, uh, definitely needs a PR team. Harman Breeth, come on, grab that good PR team. Um, but, you know, I don't think India have much to worry about because Shefali is a developing one. Oh, they got talent. And yeah. she also scored a ton yeah, in the second T20, as did Smithy, who was also amazing. Jamima's yeah. there. There's so many of these girls who are, you know... Uh, World class. So I don't think India have much to fear over there. One last topic. Uh, Titus Sadhu, I am told. That's how you pronounce the name. Where Harman Preet is 34 and, you know, on the wane. Titus Sadhu took 4 for 17 in the first T20. And she's 19. Right arm medium. I mean, have you seen her? I board? didn't see the highlights. Um, mm. uh, t- t- take me through it. Any, is she tall? Is she fast? Does she swing it? What, what have we got here? I, I didn't actually see the highlights <laughs> but either. But you wanted but to say if, her if name wants and to. you've done the research. Yeah, I mean, and so isn't that what this podcast course. is really about? That's exactly what this podcast is about. Maybe we'll also have a different women's cricket podcast in the future and Hypercost can be watching every episode live like he does. He, he won't come <laughs> on and actually chat to us about this stuff. So we have to wait for him to put a comment yeah. 
he he said something else actually he says uh, jared might appreciate about what a, something else that jared might appreciate about the third odi was it was the first time since 1987 and the second time ever that leg spinners have taken five wickets in an odi for australia I did notice that one that alana king did it yeah i did notice that only my because word. of the alana delivery and then i went off uh, yeah. uh, um and and googled some of it and i i, I did see that stat yeah i look i i think women's leg spin is really really interesting just because of when I first started watching women's cricket, it just really wasn't a factor in, in the women's game. And, and it's come up so quickly. I think it also tells you that we're getting slightly better athletes. And and that includes mm-hmm. spin athletes. I know at spinners aren't really athletes. Like, you know, Alana King is in Elise Perry, right? Or, you know, she's not she's not Nat Siva Brunt. But I think we're getting women with slightly bigger hands and, and stronger wrists and all those sorts of things that you need to be able to get those revolutions on the ball. Um I, I so I, I do think it's fascinating. But if you haven't seen Alana King's delivery, um, uh, you can find it right across social media. If you, I'm sure if you just put Alana King in now, it will come up. It's an absolutely beautiful ball. Yeah. Uh, and I will for the hypercost is probably talking about an article that I wrote about women's leg spinners before the last World Cup. I watched a lot of uh, women's leg spinners, and uh, it's uh, it's a really pure form of the art in a way that I love watching. Ravi Bishnoi and um, Rayan Ahmed and some of the new leg spinners coming through, but we're sort of getting slightly more bastardized leg spin versions now. And, and, and it's nice <laughs> to just see the, the women just has a lot of Matt Parkinson type leg spin, you know, just yeah. proper, you know, uh, ripping the ball out the side of their hand. And it's uh, beautiful to watch. It looks great on TV. Yeah. Not the first time Alana's done something like that either. I've seen this same yeah. sort of reel before as well. And I mean, she's absolute quality. Warney would be proud. Let's just say that. And I think that's a good time to end this podcast. So thanks to everyone in the comments for keeping us busy and I hope you enjoyed the show. Subscribe to this channel and Jared's other channel. We definitely need as many subscriptions as we can get and your support is greatly valued. We'll be back with Uncovered next week with episode 67, but that's all for this week. We're off for now. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku, as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Social media nightmares keeping you up after you turn out 25 minutes of gold on your podcast? It's time to wake up to Memento FM. They find the best designs for your posts, transforming your videos and podcasts into great social media posts. Join Memento FM today.